All right. Good morning, everybody. It has been a blast to be with you here over the last handful of weeks, and I have so just enjoyed uh, seeing many of you that I haven't seen for a while and meeting some new folks, some new faces. And if we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you today. Um, if, uh, if you grab me on the way out here sometime after the service, love to meet you and, and just say hey real quick. But we are wrapping up this series called Jealousy, the Good Kind. And what we've been saying over the last handful of weeks is that jealousy in general is almost never seen as a good thing. Uh, very few people are looking at jealousy and saying, man, that's the kind of person that I want to be. I want to be a jealous person. Uh, nobody does that, right? And we said from a cultural perspective, uh, nobody's locking into jealousy and, and viewing that as a good thing. Instead, we're going to see that kind of as a, a negative thing, uh, that if I'm a jealous person, I'm probably insecure in some ways. I have some weaknesses emotionally. Right? There may even be some instability at times if I go too far with jealousy, kind of towards the stalker end of things. We said that that's usually not viewed positively, kind of in any way in our culture. And we said oftentimes when our culture takes a stance on, on a certain issue and kind of views it a certain way, oftentimes the Bible will view that issue differently. And we said in this case, it really doesn't. Right? The Bible, while it doesn't view jealousy as an emotional weakness or a personality defect, it's going to view jealousy in a negative fashion as well, but it's going to view it negatively this way. Really, it's going to see jealousy as a moral problem. Right? It's going to look at jealousy and say jealousy is wrong. Right? This is a right and wrong, black and white. It's a sin to, to be jealous. Right? So, but overall, nobody's really excited about jealousy. It's not tend, it doesn't tend to be a good thing. What we've been saying over the last handful of weeks, though, is that we begin to run into a bit of a problem when we start to diagnose what jealousy is, look at it a little bit, but then bump into the reality that the writer of the Bible, the one who calls jealousy a sinful thing, a moral problem, that he himself will be described as a jealous God. We're like, what do we do with that? How do we deal with that? Has God um, created a contradiction in the Bible? Is God a hypocrite? And what we said is none of that's the case, not at all. What we had to do is, is kind of dive down a little bit deeper into what jealousy is and begin to realize that there, there actually is a good kind of jealousy. So for the kind of our, our conversation, we broke this out into a, a good kind of jealousy and a bad kind of jealousy. And we said it this way, that the jealousy that we tend to be familiar with culturally and what we just talked about biblically is kind of the bad kind of jealousy. When I look into someone else's relationship or I look towards someone's possessions and I long to have a relationship that someone else enjoys, right? That's, that's an exercise of the bad kind of jealousy. When I long to have what you have, when I want your possession or your lifestyle or your marriage, I want to have your body type, right? That's envy, covetousness. It's the bad kind of jealousy. But we said there is a good kind of jealousy, when I have a, a committed and a defined relationship that I'm in, when I'm in that relationship and I begin to drift out of that relationship, the heart of the other person is filled with jealousy. And it's the good kind. They're going to look and they're going to have zeal or jealousy for my heart to lock back into that relationship the way that we committed and defined that we would relate to one another. We said this makes the most sense in marriage. When two people say, hey, I want to be with you, you want to be with me, yeah, let's get married, we're, we're committing on the basis of this marriage. When a partner, one of those members of that marriage begins to drift away, we said it's appropriate, it's good, it's even virtuous 
for the other partner to kind of chase down the heart of that person, to have zeal for them, to care about that, and to long for them to lock back in to that relationship, kind of as we defined it to be. Now, that's kind of all the base work that we've been unpacking over the last handful of weeks. And what we said is this really starts to matter uh, when we go beyond human relationships, when we begin to look at our relationship with God. And so here's what we said. We said when, when jealousy shows up in my relationship with God, here's how it kind of looks, right? Uh, Jesus is going to be our creator. Here's kind of us, and here's Jesus. We're put into this relationship kind of automatically because God is our creator. We're born into a, a situation where we should relate to the one who created us. And what begins to happen is we kind of look at our hearts in the, the direction or the trajectory of our hearts. Here's what can happen, right? When my heart, here's going to be my heart, big red heart for you. When my heart begins to drift out of this relationship, right? And it begins to drift towards something else, whatever it is, right? This is called idolatry. We started to talk about this last week. We, we said when, here's what idolatry is. We said this, that when I offer a portion of my heart or a level of devotion to something else or someone else that really should only be reserved for Jesus, that's idolatry. When I offer a level of devotion to someone or something else, that should only be reserved for Jesus. And we said, this really creates a problem. Why? Because the human heart only has room for one God. That's just how it is. So I need to correct this situation, right? Jesus longs for me to be in a, a committed and a defined relationship with him. When my heart drifts towards an idol of any kind, there's a response on the heart of Christ where he is filled with jealousy for my heart. He longs to see it lock back into that relationship the way that he designed it to be. So we said, how do we do that? We talked about this last week. We looked at a bookshelf and we had a bunch of different items on that bookshelf. And here's what we said. We said that what, what God really wants, what Jesus wants, is he wants us not just to love him, uh, not just to have affection for him, not just to pursue him in the same ways that we pursue everything else in life. What he wants us to do is he wants us to love him the most. That, that that's really the kind of relationship that Jesus died to give us, that God created us for, us for us to have. And if I'm going to respond to this situation, the way to do that is to say, Jesus, man, I want to, I want to love you the most. I want to love you the most. Uh, not just on the same shelf as everything else. Uh, I'm not going to share this shelf with you. Uh, I'm not going to share uh, my heart or my marriage or anything else. I'm, I'm going to have you above all those other scenarios and all those other situations, and you alone will have this level of devotion, this portion of my heart that really is only reserved for you. Good stuff, kind of all in review of where we have come so far. What I want to do today is begin to recognize that when I recognize that I have drifted from Jesus and I respond to God's jealousy, the good kind of jealousy, and I lock that relationship back in the way it's supposed to be, that it does not stop here. That this is actually a path that's going to lead me somewhere. It goes beyond just me and Jesus, although me and Jesus is critical. It's something we have to make sure we're 
we're set up with, we're locked into. I want to know Jesus and make sure that this is settled, but this begins to take me on a journey, and I want us to begin to look at that journey as we wrap up this conversation. So let me give you an example of somebody who walked this journey through. Uh, the Apostle Paul is a guy that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not. He, he was a guy who in uh, first century Judaism would have been a contemporary of Jesus, right? So he was alive around the same time as Jesus, roughly the same age. And he's a Jewish guy. He's actually a leader in Judaism. He's called a Pharisee, who, who would have been a teacher of the law, very respected by people, the people of the day. And what the Bible uh, accounts of Paul's story, it's kind of recorded all throughout the New Testament. It's hard to capture all of who he is, so I'll kind of tell us in summary for it. So, so Paul would do this. He was driving after Judaism, and he was advancing faster than his peers, the Bible would say. He's, he's a sharp young man who would tend to give all of himself to whatever he did. Or whatever he's focused on, whatever's captivated his passion, and he's going to kind of be all in for whatever that is. And, and for the Apostle Paul, that was Judaism. And, and he would have been a guy that locked into Judaism in a major way and, and pursued it zealously. He's a really a neat individual. Now, something happens. As, as Paul begins to lock into this, he begins to hear about Jesus and his ministry and we, we actually talked about this the first week that some of the leaders in Judaism began to respond with jealousy as Jesus showed up and began to draw followers away from the Pharisees and, and away from their leadership. Paul would have been among them. He would have seen the impact that Jesus was making on drawing people away from just a pure followership of Judaism, and he would have responded with zeal and even violence for that. He actually became a persecutor of the church. He would have approved of Christians being stoned to death. Right? Where if you were unfamiliar with this practice, people would literally pick up rocks and together throw them at an individual. It's called a stoning, and they would be put to death. That's how the first Christian martyr came to be. And the apostle Paul is the guy that approved of this happening. All of this is a response to, to his zeal and his pursuit uh, in Judaism as a Pharisee. We could say it this way, that, that there was something going on in Paul's heart that, that was chasing something other than God. While, while he was chasing down a religious system, he wasn't able to see the God's son who was sent, right? That Jesus showed up and, and, and Paul wasn't able to recognize that this is the very Son of God. We could almost say that, that, that there was something that was, that was selfish, almost an idolatry in Paul as he chased down Judaism because it, was, it had to have been more about him than it was about God. Because there's other people at the time that were tuned into God that, that recognized who Jesus was. Man, and they locked into him. They responded to him. Paul wasn't one of those guys. So something happens. Amazing intervention that, that God makes is Paul is moving towards persecuting the church. Jesus would show up and interact with Paul in a dynamic way. And if you look this up in the Bible, they're going to call him Saul. It's just his Hebrew a way of saying his name. So you're going to interact with Paul, and, and Jesus kind of knocks him down to the ground. He helps him to understand that this church that Paul had been persecuting is actually connected to him. 
that God himself is the one that Paul is persecuting. Paul's entire frame of reference is shattered because he thinks he's loving God and he thinks he's being righteous. He thinks he's loving people by doing this. And all of a sudden he realizes that everything that he's chasing down has been a pursuit in the wrong direction. He's been chasing something that's not legitimate. Now, what would happen is this. Paul would enter into a relationship with Jesus through that interaction. And like we said before, Paul is the guy who, whenever he got focused on something, all of his passion would be moved towards it. So he became so in love with Jesus and his mission that he began to embrace all that Jesus was and all that he was to offer. Here's a set of verses that really encompass this. Check this out. So this is a guy that would have hated Jesus, hated what Jesus stood for, persecuted his church. He does a complete 180. And here's what he's, here's what he's able to say. This is out of his own mouth, uh, talking to a church that he helped to start. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 7. You can listen along or turn there if you want. It's up on the screen. Paul says this, But whatever were gains to me, whatever were gains to me, whatever things that I would have gained through my pursuits, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them garbage. That word actually means feces. Anything that gained me respect and fellowship and loyalty and love and appreciation, anything, anything that would have been a prize for me in this pursuit, I consider that trash, feces, in light of this relationship that I have with Jesus. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He says, I want to know Christ. And and I just want you to understand this. This isn't know Christ as in I want to intellectually study him. This is I want to experience a person. I want to know him intimately, deeply. The the one who died to save my soul that came and rescued me from my vain pursuits, I want to know him. Here's what he says. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul would be so captivated, so moved by Jesus, that he would be able to say, man, man if, I could, if I could know you fully, Jesus, if I could even know you in your pain, if I could even suffer alongside you, man, I would do that. I'm in. You know how this is? You ever suffer with someone and build relationship? And you're so connected after that, after you've suffered with someone. Paul's saying, I'll share in your sufferings. This reminds me a little bit of um, my wife and I. We've got four kids and uh, lots of fun. In the beginning of our marriage, we've been married 12 years. In the first handful of years, uh, we weren't able to get pregnant, you know? And so we finally get pregnant. Fun story. And uh, we we start to move towards the point of being able to to deliver the baby, you know? So we're in pregnancy. 
all amped up. We were fired up. We didn't even find out what the, the, the sex of the baby was going to be, the gender was going to be. So uh, lots of anticipation, you know. And, and Lori's very excited. I'm very excited. Our whole family's pumped up, you know. And we're starting to prepare for these days. So you go to these classes, start to learn about, you know, they teach you how to breathe. They teach you how to make a plan. You know, you make the birth plan. You're like, okay, we'll write it up. And so we're getting a lot of expectation, you know, built up around this whole day. And Lori starts to study all the research, you know, about going natural and the drugs and this and that and the other thing, you know. And she's like, honey, I want to talk to you about this. And I really don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to use the drug. I think I'm going to go natural. I was like, all right. (laughs) I'm like, you know, if you take those drugs, um, I don't think it hurts as much. I just want, I want to make sure you understand how this, this whole thing works. And so you're voluntarily choosing pain. Okay, yeah, I'm with you, you know. So we kind of roll into this thing like voluntarily choosing pain. And I, I don't quite have my mind around it. Maybe it's a female thing. I'm cool with it. I'm a supporter. I'm along for the ride. Yeah, I love it. So, so we, uh, finally the day comes. It takes forever. Like, I think we're overdue. I can't remember. I blocked this portion out of my memory. We're overdue. We're like, every day, is it going to be the day? And eventually the day comes. And, uh, and we're like, we're so amped up. I get the bags packed for like three weeks. You know, we got like, from the library, we got worship music because we're going to be like really focused and worship during labor. We, we picked out the people who were going to be there, the whole thing, you know? And so we, we, as soon as the day came, Lori's water broke. I'm like, it's here, let's go, right? And I turn into like super dad, super husband. I am going to get my wife to the hospital. It's like my only job, right? Just get the woman and the baby to the hospital. And then for me, it's more about like, I just have this scenario playing out of my wife giving labor in my car. You know, and I'm like, I just do not want that to happen, so I'm going to get her to the hospital. So, like, get the bags, go get her, run and move to the hospital, get her checked in. All the, we all got checked in. Everything is serene and wonderful. You know, the first couple contractions, the first few hours, it's not so bad. Worship music's playing in the background. We're focused. Yeah, we're psychotic. We have issues. I don't know what you do. Right, so this is all playing out. And, and, and eventually, you know, it starts to get harder, right? The, the, just the, the, it starts to amp up the pain of these contractions. And you watch on the little monitor, if you guys have ever done this, this is how this works. There's like, it actually uh, measures the intensity of your contractions. It goes up this hill and then down this hill. And you kind of watch the, the pain and the intensity come up. And so we're doing this over and over and over again. It starts to get really intense. And I remember from the Lamaze class, that, like the breathing thing, you know, I'm like, honey, you know, you got to do, you got to start doing the breathing thing that, you know, is it something like that? That's the best I got, you know, and so it was something like that, and Lori's starting to get, it's starting to get tough for her, painful for her, and, and what she does is instead of uh, breathing, that just wasn't enough, evidently, you know, it starts to get painful. She's like, hey, shut that music off. Yes, dear, you know, whatever you want. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you, whatever, right? So I hit, hit the music, and I'm like, honey, we got to start the breathing thing. She's like, no, I, I, I want to sing through them. We're going to sing the contractions. We're going to sing the breathing. Yeah, we're going to do, hoo, hoo, hoo. And, and it's not enough for her to sing. She's like, you sing too. Yes, dear. Whatever you want. Hoo, hoo, hoo. And then anybody who's in the room, all of us together as one big, right, right, choir, hoo, hoo, hoo. this is all playing out in, in the hospital room. It's an amazing event, you know? It was wild. But then you... You know how this goes if you've been down this road. Um, eventually, you just start to run out of gas. You know, she wanted to go natural, 
And, and we start to get stuck in our progression through labor, right? So I guess there's a one to 10 thing you have to go through, you know? And, and we got stuck at seven for 12 hours. Yeah, 12 hours, right? This doesn't go well. And so 12 hours, and, and what happens, you start to lose your energy. It's the middle of the night. You haven't eaten. You can't eat, right? Your supporter team is getting tired. And as a husband, I just want, I just want to help my wife. You guys know how this works, right? You're like, I just want to fix it. I'm like, take the drugs. You know, that's what I'm thinking. I didn't say it. I did not say it. But I thought it. I thought, just, just do it. You know, but I want to jump in and fix it. And, and I remember they gave us this tennis ball to like, I guess, massage, you know, her back or whatever with. I got this tennis ball underneath the bed. And I'm watching my wife just cry. You know, you just cry and she's singing. And it's weird, you know. And I, I'm squeezing this ball for me to not melt down emotionally. You know, I'm like, I have to keep this together, you know. But, but there's this part of me that thinks, man, if I could just come in and just take some of that suffering off of her, you know, if I could, if that's what it took to fix it, like, I would do that. I mean, I don't really want to do it, but I do, you know, like, I did. I, I just wanted her to be out of the anguish and out of the suffering. If I could share some of that with her, man, that would make everything better. So long story short, the, the baby gets stuck. She ends up with a C-section. But, w- but we were left with this, uh, this experience together of suffering, probably unlike anything we've ever experienced, where, where she's at the height of her suffering. And I'm thinking, if I could just share it with her, man, I would. And I think that's what's happening in some ways here with Paul. It is Paul is looking at Jesus He's looking at the heartbreak that Jesus has. And he, he's saying, if I, could, if I could join into that with you, I would. If I could have some of, of that anguish in the heart and the pain that you experience, Jesus, I would jump in with you. And here's where I think this starts to work. Here's where I think this, what this looks like in the life of Paul, and I think it makes sense in our lives. So Paul was a Jewish guy. Right? He grew up with Jewish uh, family and friends, would have had incredible pride in that race. And, and the people of Israel had persecuted Jesus, many of them, not all of them, but many of them, and had rejected him. And many of them were disconnected from the faith. And Paul knew what Jesus' heart was for those people. He knew that he, he loved the people of Israel. And, and here's where Paul lands with all of that. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 2. Listen to these verses. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Those of my race, the people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship, theirs is the divine glory, the covenants. The receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises, theirs is the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all. He, he's going to look at his people, Israel, who he is from and who he is, and look at their rejection of Jesus and say, I would do all that I could possibly do to see them come to know Jesus. Here's what I think this looks like. Right? Paul's in this relationship with Jesus. And he's got people in his life 
And, and he's looking, he's saying, man, I have found this passionate relationship with Jesus. I found what I didn't even know I was looking for. And he's going to look at the hearts of the people that he knows and loves and grew up with, and their hearts are not in line with Jesus. And what he's going to recognize is that his Savior, who he loves, is suffering and is jealous for the hearts of these people around him. The, the people, the brothers and sisters, the co-workers, the friends, the people all around Paul in his life, he's going to say Jesus is as jealous for their hearts as he was for mine. He loves them as much as he loves me. He's as passionate and is determined to see their heart lock back into relationship just like it did for me. And so what does Paul do? Paul says this, man, I have great sorrow in my heart. I'm going to join into the jealousy that Jesus has. I'm going to take on the good kind of jealousy. When I look at the people around me, I'm going to have a zeal for their hearts and a passion for their hearts. And I'm going to care about their soul and their heart and where they're headed because Jesus cares about that. I'm going to join into God's jealousy. It all starts to make sense. And so we have to start to say, what, what, is, what is the heart of Christ? What does it look like? In essence, here's at least one strata of what it means to, to look at Christ's heart, to share in his sufferings. Here, here's what Luke says, records about Jesus saying, this is why Jesus was on the planet in, in the chapter 19 of Luke. Jesus says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. At least one portion of what it means to share in the sufferings of Christ is to say, I'm going to seek and to save the lost and, and hurt for the lost like you hurt for the lost. Guys, this is so important. Um, I, I feel um, gifted now and privileged now to have this perspective. I didn't always feel this way, but um, I didn't grow up in the church, and so the, the first I don't know, two-thirds of my life were spent being lost. Spent being lost. I had no connection to Jesus, no connection to truth or the Bible. And what I would say, through my story, how this worked for me is there was some pain in my life like there is in all of our lives, and that pain amplified some questions that I was wrestling with, that we all wrestle with. Questions like this, as a young man, I'm asking myself, hey, who am I? Who am I? What am I? What am I here for? Why am I on the planet? Do I belong here? Is there anything uh, good in me? Am I lovable? Am I accepted? Right? I didn't even recognize. I couldn't even put all those questions into words. All I know is that I was on this search, and it's, the search was desperate. You have to understand how desperate it was, and I, and I would chase down any answer that my culture would give me with any potential promise of answers to those questions. 
So I, I would chase down, man, I, you tell me to be a good person, you tell me to get good grades, you tell me to be an athlete, tell me to be in the right social circles, you tell me to make money, you, you tell me to do whatever you want to tell me to do, I'm going to chase that down with all of my passion. I need the answers to these questions. And basically, I lived a life of idolatry. Why? Uh, because I hated God? No, I just didn't even know who God was. I was lost. I was desperate. Right? I needed answers. And I needed them bad. And, he, and even as I'm saying this, some of you might be able to relate to that and say, man, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel that way sometimes. I have those questions. Because for some of us, and I would say even for myself today, I'm about 15 years removed from this experience. Not, not that I never struggle with idolatry. I mean, when i being disconnected from Jesus completely where I didn't know him. And now, 15 years later, uh, that experience of being lost, it feels very far away. And the pain of it is faded. It's hard. It feels like another life. It feels surreal. And as I was trying to get my head back around this conversation, it reminded me of, of what that feeling of being lost really feels like. If you guys grew up in the church or you've been a Christ follower a long time, maybe this is faded for you too. Here's how this works. When I'm in trouble today, guess what? I can call somebody in the church and they can help me. If I'm alone, I'll have a friend who's a Christ follower who will help me. If I need direction, I can pick this book up and find eternal real truth anytime I want. Anytime I want. If I'm anxious or lost or, or I'm trying to figure things out, well, I can go to the Bible anytime. If I want direction, I can go to a pastor or a life or a spiritual leader in my life and I can get direction from somebody who genuinely cares about me anytime I want. If I get sick and my life ends prematurely, I'm going to heaven. That's going to be horrific and painful. I never want to downplay that. But at the end of the day, I know where I'm going. I know who I am. I know I'm on the planet. I have my questions answered. We, we tend to take that for granted. Imagine that all of that is gone. Imagine that none of that is in place. When you're lost, you don't know who to go to. And when you have questions, you don't know where the answers are. And you don't know where you're going to go when you die. And you don't know what's going to happen if life doesn't turn out the way that I hope that it does because all of my hope is placed in those answers. Guys, I, I would have felt like I was free-falling in life with no support and no one to help. Oh, it's horrifying. You, you have to know that your God, Jesus, looks at people who are lost and doesn't look at them and say, hey, get your act together. You know, figure it out. Suck it up. Right? Move on. Hey, hey, why are you worshiping this or, or following that or, or chasing down this thing? Why, why don't you clean your life up and figure out what he's doing is he's looking at the heart of the people that are lost and he's, his heart is broken for them. Why? Because they don't know what to do. They're lost. If they knew the way, they would take it. You know? They're lost. And Paul is coming back here and he's saying, I, 
And Jesus says, that's true. If that's reality, I'm going to join into your jealousy. I want to I chase after hearts the way that you chase after hearts. I'm going to take on that perspective, the mind of Christ, and I want to see people the way that you see them. I want to see their pain and their lostness, and I want to recognize that there's an answer that, that God has been gracious enough to give me in a relationship that he's been gracious enough to invite me into, and I want to go after chasing people and helping them find the same Savior that I get to enjoy. Now, I want to join into God's jealousy. And here's how this can look. This is what Paul's life would become about. Paul would look at the relationships around him. He would look at the people that have drifted and he would respond to God's jealousy and he would say, in prayer and in action and with priority, Jesus, would you do for them what you have done for me? Would you draw their hearts back into relationship or into relationship for the first time? Would you give them what we enjoy? And I want to enter into your mission to see this happen. Man, I, I want to pray, Jesus, act on your jealousy. Go after that heart. Because our first response as we join into God's jealousy is to pray. It's to pray. It's what it is. You guys just came out of a series on prayer. I, this was one of the most mind-blowing things to me as I first came to know Jesus, as I got to talk to my aunt, who was also a Christ follower. I don't see her a ton, but sometimes I get to interact, and a very passionate person. I was telling her my story of, this is years ago, of how I came to know Jesus, right? And, and I would have considered myself an atheist at the time, no interest in the things of God, right? Before I came to know Christ, and I'm telling her how Jesus saved me. And she grabbed me by the shoulders uh, in a way that really only she can. She's a very intense person. She looked me right in the eye. And she said, Ryan, I want you to understand something. Okay, you know, I'm listening. You know, and she, she said, my mother, her mom lives in Indiana. I think I met her three times. My mother has a sheet of paper, single space with names on it, that she prays for every day for, for people who don't know Jesus. I was like, that's awesome. That's fantastic that she does that. That's great. She's like, you don't get it. Your name has been on that piece of paper since you were born. That woman has prayed for you every day for 20 years. Oh, I'm like, my mind is blown, man. I don't even know this lady. I don't even know this lady. And somehow she was able to respond to the jealousy that Jesus had for my heart, she joins into it and she says, Jesus, will you do this in his life? And with that perspective in the back of my mind, I was able to look back at my life and see the hand of God right? as he smashed this idol in my life, made me ask some questions, felt the need to be forgiven for my sin, the guilt of my conscience, looking at how he put people like Pastor Tony in my life to share his faith with me. And how eventually I was brought to a place where I was able to say yes to Jesus. I'll love you the most. What's amazing, what's brilliant, and what's wonderful is 
my aunt's mom, she got to partner with Jesus in that work. And that is beautiful. I want you to watch what happened. Watch what can happen. I am chasing down a vain, a vain pursuit here. Chasing down nothing, things that won't matter at the end of the day. I respond to God's jealousy for me. Join into relationship. Find the answers to the questions that I'm looking for. Right? This is every Christ follower's story. I begin to realize that, that God's jealous not just for me, but he's jealous for the world, for my neighbors and my friends and my family and the people that are all around me. And I, I say, okay, I can join into your suffering and I can join your mission and your heartbreak for the people in the world. Look, and we get to partner together to see this happen. Lives changed. My aunt's mom's prayers are affecting people throughout the entirety of my life. Right? Because now my life is set on the same trajectory and, and I get to, as, as much as I can in my days, I want to I help people know Jesus. Guys, what if we respond to God's jealousy and because we prayed because we took on the mind of Christ, because we looked at people as lost, shared with them, loved them, what if your efforts to join into God's jealousy changed lives forever? What if it changed a marriage? What if it changed a generation of, of Christ followers? My kids know Jesus now. At least the handful that can recognize the decision. Our generation has changed. And that woman got to join into that. She got to share in that work. Why? Because she shared in the suffering. Guys, what I want you to know is, is where Pastor Tony is going to take us kind of as a campus and take you as a campus over the, the months to come here in these series is he's going to lead this campus into a mission that does this. Where, where we not only get reconnected with Jesus, but we advance his mission in the world. And we begin to see lives changed and begin to see hearts come alive. Because what if uh, the person in your life, maybe who's even an enemy, who, who feels far from God, like what if, what if their story is like my story? Because I was that guy to Pastor Tony 15 years ago. I was a guy that you would have never assumed would come to know Jesus. That guy seems very self-sufficient. He does not appear to need anything. I don't think he's ever going to come to know. That's what you would have said about me 15, 16 years ago. What if right around us there are people that are in need of the gospel who are lost and God is asking us as individuals, as groups, as a church to engage the mission of jealousy for the hearts of the world. What, what would happen if people started to go through this process? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The, wet, the wasted energy is gone. And, and now what God is doing is, is he's doing through us what we are made to do. We're, we're meant to be used by God to be his, his ambassadors and people that bring good news. Guys, that's where the campus is moving. Where I want to land us today is just the first part. It's all we can cover, you know. The first part comes, I think, with a fundamental decision to pray. 
to, to say, I'm going to be a person that will join into God's jealousy, the good kind. I'll lock into the heart of Christ and I'll begin to care for people and love people and pray for people and share with people. Why? Because that's what my Savior would do. I want, I want to move from chasing my will to chasing God's will. That's the, that's the decision today. And I want to begin to pray for the people in my life who I know that they don't have this hope that I have. They're lost. They need love. They need Jesus. So guys, the way I want us to end is, is the same way we've ended over the last few weeks, just to bow our heads and to close our eyes and literally want us to pray. Begin to ask Jesus to, to help us to see what it means to join into his jealousy. Father, would you help us today? Help us to understand, to know what it means to be lost. That there are those around us every day who don't know you. And in their pain, they, they chase things that, uh, that don't matter. Lord, would you give us eyes to see them? More importantly, Lord, would you give us, give us jealousy for them, for their hearts, a zeal for them to know you, just like you have. And Lord, today, I, I want us to personally pray. Lord, Lord draw to the surface the names of the people around us that don't know you, Lord, and we pray for them today. You love them, Lord. Our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers and I want to pray that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, help the lost to become found. And God, help us to show, kind of see our part in it and to show your love. Help us to see what our steps are, Lord, in it. And today we pray. And we ask you to move in hearts. Draw people to yourself. This morning we want to enter in to your jealousy, your passion, your zeal. We thank you for your zeal for us. Lord, we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.